first question I want you to answer for people in New Year. Is my calorie intake too high on the app? I've been given an intake that I think is way too high based on my past experiences of dieting, but I think it's too high. What do you say to it? Um, I think there's a couple of things to unpick there. So the first one is the notion of previous experiences of dieting. And previous experiences of dieting tend to be hyper-aggressive, which is why they're not sustainable. So we tend to take a more, let's say, pragmatic approach, at least in the initial phases, because that allows people to adapt to like figuring out more protein in the diet, not having to change their nutrition too much, still fit in foods that they, they enjoy. Because the whole point of this program, and we know it's a 10-week challenge, but philosophically, you know, where, where we come from as a brand, the whole point is about creating sustainable changes. And sometimes that might mean that we can't be as aggressive necessarily as we would have done on other previous dietary approaches. Um, there are periods of time where maybe we do want to be a bit more aggressive and we, we do, you know, we do discuss those things and we can go into those a little bit more depth through various, <clears throat> excuse me, nutrition conversations. But there's a time and a place for them and starting off isn't the time or the place, in my humble opinion. Um, the other side of that as well is people generally have very little understanding of what they actually consume so you know in, in my line of work i come across a lot a lot of what we might call like monday to friday dieters um you know where people are good as they might call it during the weeks and at weekends they're eating four and a half thousand calories Saturday, friday night saturday sunday but all of a sudden they think the calories are too high now we have to remember the numbers that we give are based on fairly accurate estimations depending on the information that we're given and also, the, these are averages over the course of the week. So before people get into this idea that their calories are too high, give it, give it a go with the numbers that we've set. But also remember that they're a target. They're, think of them as like a ceiling rather than something on average like a ceiling. So you could have slightly higher one day, slightly lower the next. You can adjust those things within the planner itself. But think of those more like a ceiling rather than a than I've got to eat that many calories. I think, you know, if you have days where your hunger isn't as high, you're being a little bit less active, you know, then yeah, it's natural to feel, um, it's natural to feel like there is a, what's the word? That, that, that there's too much food there. So give it a go first, but then also as you track more fastidiously and you become more aware of food choices, quite often a lot of people, what they'll experience is that there's a lot of foods there that they probably assume are a lot lower calories than they think they are. You know, there's a lot of, you know, if people eat out a lot, they grab foods from certain places, they get a lot of takeouts, two or three of those a week. You know, now a lot of your main chains um, will have their kind of nutritional information published with them, which is great. But, you know, you have something, for example, um, I mean, one of my favorite kind of like stopgap restaurant places when it's like, what shall I get is Wagamama's, right? But if some of those foods, it's just, you know, chicken and rice, it's nice. But if you look at some of the sauces and things on those as well, those can easily be, you know, easily for most of the most people like a third to a half of their daily allowances in terms of calorie intake you do that in a couple of glasses of wine and before you know it in one meal you're at maintenance intakes and things so i think that people think they consume less calories than they do even dietitians and nutritionists who are supposed to be skilled at this unless they're very aware of what they're consuming are notoriously inaccurate in terms of their estimations so view it as an educational process view it as a almost kind of the sort of Descartesian forget everything you think you know about nutrition and what you think you consume and, and start from scratch and say, I'm going to track, see what my numbers come out. And at the end of the day, the process is adjustable as well. Nobody's macros at a starting point will be how they end up. And nobody's macros at their end point will typically be what they would continue on forever and ever and ever, depending on your goal. 
as our physique changes and transforms, so will our nutritional demands and our nutritional needs. Whether we take up a new activity, which increases our energy expenditure, or we get an injury, that means we can't do as much as we want to do. Those things are, it's a very dynamic process. And the whole point of tracking and the whole point of collecting data is to allow us to be more dynamic and not just flexible in terms of the food we eat, but flexible in terms of how much composure we can have and how much adaptability that we can have in terms of our nutrition. And you know, long-term moving forwards, the people who are most successful in weight loss and weight management, most importantly, you know, people losing weight for a short period of time is not easy in the sense that it's, you know, it's, it's easy to sustain, but it's easy, you know, to cut carbs for a week or follow some silly fad diet for a week or two and lose weight in that sense. But what we're interested about is maintenance. So when it comes back to the idea of calorie allowances, most people, and again, I'm not speaking for everybody here. I'm always going to talk in generalization. So please try not to do things beyond the generalized point until I get very specific questions. Most of the things that I have to deal with are generalized. Most of the things I'm going to discuss are in generalizations. And, and the fact of the matter is that generally speaking, most people haven't got a scooby-doo of how many calories they need, how many calories they consume, and at a push are genuinely, truly honest about their food consumption. What I call the BLTs, their bites, their licks, their taste, the cookie at work, the friend's birthday, was it one glass of wine or two? After a night out, did you or didn't you have a kebab when we're tracking our food intake? Was it the Domino's regular pizza? Was it the large pizza? Did you sneak slices off someone else's plate? You know, quite easily when you start to account for all those things. The tracking isn't just about number crunching. It's about awareness. So I think, I think at the starting point from this, one of the things I would always encourage people to do is not be fearful of tracking. It's to, be, to use it for a point of awareness about what we're consuming so we can have an honest conversation with ourselves about how that aligns with our goals. You know, so don't worry about the numbers to start anyway because they'll change. You know, so don't worry about that. We got we we got your back, yes. as, as people say. Well, Paul, would you want to think it'd be good good for us to do here? Is um, oh, let me see if I can get it to work in here. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's not working. I'm gonna launch a poll. Hold on. Can I? Okay, so I'm trying to launch a poll. It's not working. But the question is, um, is this your first time trying a macros based approach? Yes or no in the chat box. So we can kind of know where we're at and we can kind of go in with that. So if you can answer that question, I don't know if I can get up on the old. Uh... Okay. So we've got a few yeses. We've got a few no's. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. So we've got a lot of yeses in there. A few no's. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's good for everyone to have a, have a, have a, have a base. So the, the next question after this follow on is, and I can't get it on the screen as a poll, which is annoying, but the next question, Paul, I think would be helpful is, you know, what's the biggest struggle you guys have? So examples I've got here is like what Paul just mentioned, weekend eating. Is it your protein intake? You're nowhere near it. And it's stressing you out. Is it binge eating in general when you get emotional or stressed? Are you a snacker and you can't seem to get a hold on it maybe? Or is there anything else? I know it's only day one, but historically, what has been the struggle? And then, Paul, we'll go into questions and I think. Yeah, cool. We've got a lot of those, a lot of those flying in. Not the moment. Okay. This is why Paul's is better. <laughs> Eating a restaurant. Okay. We got, okay. we'll come to that. We've got, that's got, Paul's got good advice on that. Cake. <laughs> yeah. Protein intake, weekend wine, too many carbs, not enough protein. Yeah. Booze, nights out and alcohol, protein, snacking, takeaways, emotional eating, self sabotaging, weekend binge. There's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there, but I can, I'm going to, I can answer some of those things in a bit more of a philosophical way without talking about specific specific examples. So yeah. 
Um, I think loosely, when we're talking about nutrition in terms of weight management in particular, what we're talking about is this ability to um, healthily regulate or control our food intake, okay? So it's that ability to control our food intake regardless of what our external environment has to offer or how that our external environment stimulates into our internal environment. So when I'm talking about external environment here, I'm talking about the things, the places we go and the people we see and the stuff that's around us. So there's a few questions there around about restaurants, travel, um, being at home potentially when you're around you know, lots of cakes, cookies, whether it's birthday parties, whatever it might be, wedding season's coming up and you're away every weekend. So we have all these external factors. And then we have internal factors as well, which are what I would call emotionally driven behaviors. So things like we have an argument with somebody and we're having a tough period of time. So we feel like our self-worth is low. Uh, we feel anxious. So we're stress eating. And we haven't eaten all day because we've been busy at work. So we've got this combination of needing to eat because we haven't eaten all day, but also combined with these, you know, these other stresses as well, which drive eating behaviors. The solution to those problems is nothing I can give you in one line here and say, bang, do this job done, okay? It would be remiss of me to do that. And if I could do that, I'd have put us out of work many moons ago and I wouldn't have a job. But the reality is that the first point of calling all of this stuff is trying to create an awareness of the things both externally and internally that trigger episodes of overeating. It could be people, it could be places, it could be, um, it could be, you know, things like boredom. It's trying to just have an awareness of the environments in which these thing, things take place. And from that awareness of our environments, both internal and external, then we can start to develop strategies to look at, okay, how can I control my external environment? So for example, the restaurant's a good one. If I go in with a plan of attack so I don't feel overwhelmed, has the restaurant got a menu? Can I educate myself on foods? Am I willing to, um, am I willing to um, you know, go to certain places? Uh, sorry, am I willing to, what's the word of master? Am I willing to make some short-term sacrifices within that meal? Or if not, because I'm going out for a birthday or it's something important to me, where else during the rest of the week am I willing to rein it in a little bit? Because we have to compromise somewhere, you know? That's, we don't have to compromise everywhere all of the time and be restricted, but we do have to compromise somewhere some of the time. The internal environment is a little bit more of a challenging one. The external one we can plan for, we can prep for. The internal environment can be triggered for all different types of reasons. So, for example, you know, if someone someone uses food as a comfort blanket, maybe it reminds us of something like the way we were raised. Maybe there's little like insidious beliefs or behaviors we have about um, nutrition from growing up. Classic one growing up in a working class family from near Liverpool was like, eat your meat first. You don't leave meat on the plate. You don't leave food. Food is expensive. So as we get, as we, we, we get older, we get into this habit of not being able to leave food on a plate because it's a waste of money. Now, again, I'm not suggesting people do that. What I am suggesting though, is the question becomes is are we then overriding listening to, you know, feelings of fullness and feeling satiated from meals. Maybe we've just got into the habit of just eating whatever's on a plate. Do we need that big of a portion? So a lot of this stuff around calorie control is about portion control as well. It doesn't necessarily need to be changing your diet completely, shifting things. Portion control is a big one. So again, that external environment, that micro environment, what's in front of our eyes is massively important. When it comes to the, there's a couple of comments there about summer and drinking and everything else as well. Again, it's about understanding the consequences of our behaviors, so if you know you're eating crisps and alcohol and that's a problem for you, the question then has to become why is, and this is something to write down, make a list of why is not 
going to ex- not not taking part in those behaviors one what does excess look like to you and two why is not going to excess more or less important than doing the thing okay because unless we can get to the bottom of why we're doing a negative health behavior we won't change it so like for example if you want to look you know if you want to look a certain way and you want to lose weight but um if you want to look a certain way or lose weight and it's you know you know that hand on heart it's you know socializing behaviors then you have to find a reason to a control your environment so socialize in different ways that don't necessarily involve high calorie foods or lots of alcohol lots of times again it's the frequency and magnitude of negative behaviors that's the problem so if we do a little negative behavior fairly frequently like a glass of wine a day is that going to be a problem probably not we can fit it in our macros if we do several glasses of wine several days of the week volume and frequency then we need to have a look at those things and we can change those behaviors one by one where is that trade off like i said before we can't not to use the cake analogy too um literally but we can't have our cake and eat it in these situations right we have to have a big enough reason to change to change those things so that's why you know dean i'm sure dean and a lot of other mindset people will talk about this stuff in the groups and the membership we talk about having a big enough why to restrict is that moment of having fun bigger and better than making long-term progress and if you haven't got a reason for doing this other than i just want to lose weight then it becomes a meaningless process there's got to be health involved there's got to be an emotional component to that being able to picture yourself in the long run achieving those goals that's bigger than yeah, yeah i'm out with my friends i love to have fun with my friends of course i do everybody does but it's the level of restriction or control i'll prefer the word control and restriction because control implies confidence not this sort of shying away from something in fear of missing out the amount of control we have to exercise can be successful and that can be different for different people you know some people can get away with a little bit more or a little bit less because you know they're more active right so we have to understand our own individual data with that so it's okay to have a fear around those things but ultimately we have to have a, if, again from that awareness of those behaviors we then have to strategize about what we're willing to control what we're not willing to control and is that enough to make progress and if it's not well then our why has to be bigger it has to be bigger because if it's not then success never happens you know and again at a deeper level than that which is where more of the deep rooted psychology gets involved which is something i'm not an expert in and i'll leave to others to discuss if we're not doing that and we're self sabotaging which is tied to low self worth you know abusive friendships abusive relationships abusive amounts of stress and bullying at workplaces poor friendships poor upbringing trauma as a child okay that's deep rooted stuff which can be at the trigger of all of this thing there's a difference between that and just i want to have fun all the time as a bit of a kind of an aside to that i think people often confuse and i want to float this question out there and just like kind of just mist around a little bit people confuse pleasure with happiness they're not the same thing people confuse short term gratification with long term happiness they're not the same thing i'd like everyone to think about something in their lives that's made them truly happy right was it something that you just achieved overnight or was it a degree was it working hard at work was it working on a progress was it raising a child to you know whatever it was 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 that thing that you got the most happiness from something that gave you the most gratification and pleasure now think about all the things that give you instant gratification and pleasure which would then give you long term unhappiness alcohol drugs whatever it might be now don't get me wrong i don't think there's anything wrong with seeking a little bit of pleasure in our lives but that pleasure has to be tempered with what our actual vision of happiness is so if losing weight being healthier being fitter and being stronger is going to give you meaningful happiness if you can picture that picture how that feels then maybe that just might help wrestle back some control in terms of short term pleasure all of the time 
And again, why are we seeking that short-term pleasure? Are we unsatisfied in our relationships, in our work, in our friendships? You know, why is it that we're seeking those things? Because it's easy to see why we like cake, because cake tastes nice. It's easy to see why we like alcohol, because it's fun, right? No one's denying all of those things. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I've never had a great time on alcohol. I was a rugby league player. I was social second of the rugby league team for two years, right? So trust me, when it comes to overindulging on alcohol, I know, I know the ins and outs of it and back to front of it. But at some point, you know, we have to put that toddler, I want it now part of our brain on the back burner and the adult brain needs to tick over and we need to make decisions that are going to help us be truly happy and truly meaningful. Um, even if that does mean short term, we have to be a little bit uncomfortable in making some of those decisions and potentially uncomfortable about who we spend our time with and potentially uncomfortable about, you know, challenging some of the relationships that we have in our life. That went down a route you weren't expecting, wasn't it, on a Monday night? Traditional, classic Dr. P style, no doubt. Um, no, good stuff there, Paul. I'm going to pick some people out now to chat about the problems and then you're going to answer them. So I'm going to say someone's name. You don't have to be in video. Just come on and chat to Dr. P about. So I can see a Tiffany Corner, weekend eating and social events. Can Would you mind giving us more context into that? And then Dr. P can maybe look into giving an answer for you. Are you there? <laughs> Where are you on my screen? There's you don't want to speak out loud. Just oh, sorry. Go on, Tiffany. Sorry, I wasn't sure no, if I could see you on my screen. Hey, are you all right? Um, yeah, I guess lots of social events always on weekends and it's so hard to sort of track your calories and alcohol and enjoy drinks, stuff like that. So, and that's kind of been the cycle that I've been in for months um, and just seeing sort of no progress because I, I think I eat okay during the week, but it must be the weekend that's sort of like killing my progress. Um, but it's that fear of missing out. I feel like I need to go um, and drink because I feel like I'm missing out basically. Okay. So I think that's it. The first thing is that like, look, look at least, at least from a starting point, you're massively self-aware that that might be a problem. So many people just refuse to acknowledge that that might be the issue. So the, the approach, again, I'm not going to tell, I don't tend to tell people what they should do because it, people tend to push back against that. When you give people direct advice, people tend to push back because people don't like being told what to do, right? You know, like mm -hmm. if it's our own idea, it's great. So I'm going to float some ideas that might be useful. One is that um, it's natural to want to be social. It's natural to, um, you know, want to have fun with friends and particularly as we're going in towards summer, especially coming out of lockdown and things now as well, those, those drivers to take part in those occasions are going to be there. So I think... There's different approaches. So one is about looking at your, looking, if you can try and at least track as best as you can as a starting point without worrying about changing anything, just try and track and get some estimation of what you're, what you're drinking, what you're consuming. Even if that's not something you're tracking at the time and getting your app out to do, like make a note of it, you know, get your phone out, whatever, make a note just to get an idea. Because when you're out and about and you're not doing things, uh, sorry, you're not aware of what you're doing because you're having fun. That's the most difficult thing. The opposite extreme of that is to kind of pick your battles on a monthly basis. So some people might say, I'm not going to drink tonight, right? And this is a really difficult one, but this is, this is an interesting experiment when if you say like, actually, I'm noticing I'm going out, let's say I'm going out every Friday and Saturday night, every night in a month. If you say, if you say like, I'm just not going to drink for a night or two. And then the reason we can't do that is because let's say our friends are calling us boring, right? Well, great. Cheers. Thanks for that. So I'm only fun when I drink alcohol. It's interesting when you create, turn that narrative back and push it towards somebody else that you really sort of see people's true colors. Um, I also think as well that quite a lot of the time when you're in that environment, it's, it's so habitual. That everyone kind of pushes each other to it. 
Now, if you're, if you're right, okay, I'm going to have one glass of wine or you can have two glasses of wine or know roughly where your limit is. Like most of us know, like for me, after like three beers or so, it just becomes the fact I'm drinking through habit at that point. I don't really get that much more drunk or I don't want to get that much more drunk because I'm old and I can't handle the hangovers. So understanding your own limits and being rigid with those or at least writing yourself some rules. So as a general rule, write yourself some rules and sign a contract to yourself. Regardless, that's a wider bit of advice to anybody here. What is acceptable behavior to you? Write them down and sign a contract to yourself. And at the end of the day, if you're doing that, then it also comes back to then, if your friends are peer pressuring you into it, the time to have a conversation isn't at the time. So if you are struggling with your weight or weight loss, you, 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 um, you can pinpoint this as being a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, speak to your friends and say, look, actually, you know, I want to come out, I want to have fun, but like, you know, if they're good mates, communicate with them. Now, at other social occasions, quite often it's the perception of what we're doing is different to the reality. So like people, you, we will think that oh, we're not drinking, everyone's noticing us and all of that stuff. And like we're boring and people will perceive us that way. Um, and again, sometimes we have to question what are the differences between, you know, like what are our thoughts on the, what are our facts on this subject and what are our opinions on it? Like, what is the reality here? Why am I doing this? And again, there's no real easy answer to this apart from setting ourselves some rules, but not just setting ourselves some rules for the sake of it, setting ourselves some rules because of that idea of why it's important for you to lose weight is at the heart of it. And without trying to sound too brutal about it, because I think sometimes it's only by asking these questions, it's like, is drinking to the extent that you do and socializing more important than you losing weight? Because that's what it comes down to, right? That's the reality of it. It's, it sounds cold and it sounds horrible, but if that fear of missing out is greater than your desire to change, then be kind to yourself, focus on the exercise until you figure out a big enough reason to do that. Now, this tends to be a lot of age dependency on this as well. Um, you know, I think as we get older and the hangovers get more severe and, and the social pressures get less lesser in some ways, you know, we don't have as friends partying all the time. People grow up, they have kids, they have more work commitments, yada, yada, yada. That pressure goes away and then it tends to shift more to the stress and work-related eating and boredom eating. That tends to become more people's issues as they transcend through life or the fact that they go through these yo-yo dieting phases. But anyway, um, sorry, I digress slightly there. But the reality is that if you've noticed that's a problem, um, it's about saying, right, I'm going to write some rules down and then I'm going to just restrain that. But it's not just, um, sorry, just as, again, a bit more of a wider context on this. If we're going to restrict the behavior, control the behavior, we're only ever going to see the negative sides of that. I'm going to miss out on stuff with my friends. They're going to think I'm boring. We create this whole narrative, this whole story about why we should drink, right? What we need to do is give the other part of our brain enough power and to say, no, these are the reasons why I shouldn't drink. Okay, so you can kind of, it's called decisional balance. You need to give yourself a a list of reasons not to do things. And I would encourage people again to write those things down. Because if you don't, those old habits, those old beliefs, those old thoughts, you'll come back into it. Um, And it's, it's as difficult and as simple as that. I do think that, yes, you know, when you're looking from a purely caloric perspective, drink choices matter. You know, you're having sugary cocktails with lots of different alcohol in it. You know, you've got the low alcohol beer, you know, versus um, you can get like low calorie beers. You can get, you know, wine versus spirits and all that stuff. That's just about educating yourself on food choices. uh, Sorry, food choices, drink choices. But ultimately, if every time we drink, we go to excess, we need to determine where that line is for ourselves and at what point it stops being fun and at what point it just starts being right, whose round is it, right? Oh, it's your round, go, you know? And I think that, you know, I've fallen into that for a long time. So it's, 
everything I talk about here is from a completely judgment-free zone. You know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not coming from like a, you know, you know, I, 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 I had not issues with alcohol in the sense of alcoholism into my thirties because I was at university till I was in my thirties. It was only when it started, I started to notice it was having a significant impact on um, my physical and mental well-being and my capacity to finish my PhD because I was going out too much and having too much fun. My reason shifted enough. So I think that the, the fact that you're aware of it is a really good starting point. The next thing then is what I was talking about before about this internal external environment is to sit down and write some strategies. It can be a rule-based strategy. It can be an environment-based strategy. Okay. Which friends is it that maybe you should spend a bit more time with than a bit less time with? Which friends do you need to have a conversation with? Because they're the ones who always, I don't use the word bully in the most meaningful sense here, but they bully you into drinking sometimes because, oh, you're boring. And quite often when people do that, it's because they're trying to justify their own behaviors. That's the reality of it. You know, quite often when people, um, people are just looking for someone to gang in with them because then that makes them feel a little bit less bad about making what they perceive as being um, unhelpful behaviors. So yeah, it's not easy, but it starts from awareness. And the next stage from that is to strategize and say, look, here's the events I can attend. Here's the, the swaps, alcohol swaps I can do. And here's my limits. You know, having an awareness of what you're going to do as opposed to just going, I know alcohol's bad and then getting on with it. It's like me saying, I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build a house. Okay, how are you going to do it? I don't know, I'm just going to build a house, right? So develop, think about the conversations you have. Think about the environments. Think about the swaps you can do. Think about which occasions really you, you, you want to drink and which occasions you're just drinking for the sake of it. Choose your battles, you know? So we never have to miss out on things. We just have to, yeah, we just have to be aware what we're doing, when we're doing it, and which ones we can be we can be more in control of, you know? Not obsessively in control, but just more in control. Nice. Tiffany, will you, does that help? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Thank you. Like you said, I think the biggest thing is is having that awareness, and I definitely do have it. So um, it's just about putting sort of it into perspective and, and going with it, I guess. I think as well, um, for myself, it's understanding that a weekend – you know, it is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but so you can't sort of binge on all three days of them. So maybe just like one day out of the three. Like yeah. Friday, I'm like, okay, it's the weekend now. I've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's like really three out of like seven days, which is quite like quite a lot of days. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's uh, sort of be bad, I guess. Well, it's it's nearly half your week. You know, it's yeah, half it's your week thing. where you could, you, and that's the thing. It's understanding. It's understanding the impact that, that might have. Yeah. And initially, you don't have to be perfect. So maybe you just start with saying, right, Saturday night's my big night out, and then I'm going to just moderate the other two. You know, you don't have to do it all at once and be super restrictive. But the key with all of this is this idea of, and again, a bit more wider that might be applicable to more people, is if you try something, a strategy, an approach, and it doesn't work, we don't just write it off. You know, we reflect upon that. Here's something I tried. It didn't work. Why didn't it work? Why can I improve on it? So whenever you're developing a strategy, whether it's a system at home, controlling food environment, um, all of that stuff, it's not like we just, you know, we just, we throw an attempt at something a lot of, and then just quit when it doesn't work. I was talking to someone about this today, actually, um, about this idea of like weight loss being something we should just like, a lot of people think it's something they should just intuitively get. Whereas actually a lot of the things around nutrition, controlling food environment, all of that stuff is a new skill we have to learn because we live in such a food-rich environment now. You know, we have so much exposure to food. We have it, like, literally, like, at our fingertips. We can have anything we delivered in, like, half an hour. So, like, we have to be aware that we're trying to develop new skills here. And, like, with any new skill, you don't just expect, like, you won't just rock up to a tennis club 
and be like, right, day one, right, I want to learn to serve aces. I want to be able to like beat Nadal in like a week, right? But when it comes to nutrition and weight management, people view it that way. Now, some people just get it straight away. Some people can find some things easier, but they'll also find other things a little bit harder. So with all of this stuff, think of it from the get-go as starting a new skill. Just because you eat doesn't mean you know about nutrition. You know, I've been on a plane, but I'd never try and pilot one. I mean, I would because I've got a massive ego. I'm pretty sure I could land a plane. But most people, most people wouldn't think, you know, that they could fly a plane just because they've been on one. And just because we eat food and maybe we've tried other dietary approaches, maybe you had a terrible tennis coach. Maybe you were playing squash and you think because you played squash, you're good at tennis. You know, quite a lot of the time I have quite a lot of challenging conversations with athletes, for example, I work with because they're athletes and they eat well, that they automatically assume that they know anything and everything. And, I, and I, I'm aware of the things. Well, I, I know a good amount of stuff, but I'm also highly aware there's loads of stuff I don't know, which is why people do PhDs in nutrition and degrees and masters and all of this other kind of research, right? So the fact that we should be at least be kind to ourselves in the early phases whilst we're learning these new skills, but also as a little bit of a um, kindness to ourselves, anytime you learn something new, anytime that you get have an, an aha moment, what's protein? Like, what the hell is it? What are macros? Did I, am I, did I become aware of a behavior or a problem? Write it down and give yourself a little metaphorical pat on the back. Because all of those things is developing the skill set that you need to be successful. It's quite easy to then do something and go like, oh, I only just, I only did that. It's fine. Oh, I did that this, this week and it was fine. And I should just be able to do that. But if it, was, if it should be something you were able to do, then you'd be doing it already, right? So be a bit kinder to yourselves with your wins. Some people put comments on the group today about feeling overwhelmed day one. Like you kind of should do, you know? But again, it's the expectation of what your pressure people are putting on themselves rather than the reality of saying, if we're in this for the long haul and we want to make sustainable long-term changes, we have to literally take it as, right, I'm starting with a blank slate. I'm going to learn something new every day. I'm going to educate myself. I don't need to lose weight every week or every single day, but I'm going to instill the education, the awareness, and develop the community that I need to be successful, right? That's why we put such a focus on community. I could teach you what you need to know about nutrition in about four minutes, which is why I'm talking all this philosophical nonsense, right? But the reality is you wouldn't believe me because there's too much bad information out there. So most of my job is to dispel myths rather than actually educate on what good nutrition is because, you know, Scott put my brain in an app. That's how easy it was, right? So um, so the reality is that um, that nutrition in, in, in essence is quite simple for your goals. The complexity comes from how we apply it in our day-to-day -day lives, how we develop strategies, how we become aware of our behaviors. Where, where is our, where's our slider of control and when do we need to dial our control up and dial it back down again? You know, it's very, there's very few black and white things. You'll often hear me say things like context and nuance and words of that ilk because that's true. You know, we're all individuals. We all fit within a scientific framework of what we need to do but we're all individuals in terms of, you know, our experiences and all that kind of stuff. So be kind to yourselves, learn things, make a mistake, learn from it, write it down. What could you do better next time? Make the same mistake again. Why do I keep making this mistake? Yeah. Momentum. Mm. Boom. Boom. Okay. Dr. P rounds of protein next for you. If you're ready, yes. uh, two questions saying protein is a problem as in just the intake. And then there's a question on uh, Michelle's asking about protein powders and okay. her, uh, partner saying recommends casein, as right. this way he's got too many carbs, apparently, and I'm looking to lose weight and not add bulk. Okay, right. so there's a few things here. 
don't want to add weight and bulk muscle gain. What's the reality for people, right? Uh, Protein intake and why it's important every day. Okay. So I'm trying to think of the the, the commonsensical order. Let's talk about what protein is and why it's not going to make you massive first. Then we'll talk about how it's going to get you, get, um, get more into that. Right. Okay. So in order to gain muscle, to gain too much bulk, right? Which people are fearful of. We have to create a training stimulus, which is our strength training, right? Now, if we're not doing the right kind of training, first and foremost, we're not going to grow if we're doing the right, we're not doing the right kind of training. But you might be thinking, okay, Dr. P, we've just done a strength session with you. Am I going to take some protein shake tonight and wake up, wake up looking like Arnold tomorrow? No. Muscle growth is an incredibly slow process. If it was as quick as people would interpret as being from taking a protein shake, I would be the size of a house by now from my years of weight training. I've whittled away a little bit in my older age because I've started doing more running endurance sports. Um, but the reality is that it's not that easy to grow. When you look at people who market protein shakes, bodybuilders, so on and so forth, a lot of them are using high amounts of anabolic steroids. They train for 15, 20 years. And on top of that, they train like absolute animals and they're specifically training just for muscle growth and have dedicated their entire lives to it. Oh, and by the way, they're probably also genetic freaks. You know, like Usain Bolt, is a genetic freak of a sprinter. You could train as hard as him. However, he trained, you'd never be as fast. So think of bodybuilders in those terms as well, okay? So let's strip it back a little bit further. Do, pro- do bodybuilders use protein shakes? Yes. But in order to elicit muscle growth, you need to be consuming sufficient protein from whatever source throughout the day. And protein shakes are just one of those sources. There's very little difference in terms of our deeper physio- physiological response to protein powders than there would be from say eating a chicken breast or a steak. The only difference tends to be is that they are quicker digesting and absorbing. So that's why people say take them post-workout when your body needs it the most. It's not really how it works. Total protein amounts are most important for muscle growth, but protein is also important for weight management because it helps us feel full. It helps with muscle retention. And that's why we encourage a higher protein diet because it helps with satiety, which is the feeling of fullness we get from the meal. If we're losing weight, we don't want to lose muscle as well. So higher protein intakes will help with lean muscle retention, not necessarily growth, but retention. It is possible to build muscle and lose fat at the same time. But again, small amounts takes a long time. So whether you use or don't use a protein shake or not is neither here nor there. A lot of people will use them as a bit of a nutritional band-aid. So as as a registered performance nutritionist, Um, my encouragement to my athletes and to you guys is to say, take a food first approach. So like try and get most of your nutrition from foods. Again, whether protein powders are a food or not is debated because it's kind of like, is it a powdered food? Because it's basically made from cheese manufacturers that, you know, curds and whey, and they just take the whey, dehydrate it. Ta-da! In terms of the carbohydrate and calorie intake between whey and casein, um, I don't think there's that much different. Whey tends to be, you can get like whey isolates, which have got virtually zero sugar in it. But honestly, if you're using a protein powder, the one or two or three grams of sugar, the 12 calories and sugar that are in there are going to be the least of your concerns in your overall diet, okay? So don't worry about the protein source. It doesn't really matter. Casein is a slower digesting protein, which is why people will use it like pre-bed. The studies have all looked at casein versus whey in terms of muscle growth. doesn't seem to make any difference. Total protein across the course of the day is what matters. Again, now to flip it back to the food first approach I was talking about, there might be some situations where, for example, breakfast, I like to have oats for breakfast. So what I will typically do is I will just make that with a, I don't really like using protein powders because they tend to clump in weight in, in oats. 
when you microwave them or whatever, but I will just use like the ready to drink protein shakes and I'll put those in. Okay. Just because they don't, they tend to have emulsifiers in them, which make them mix better. So I use protein as a food source in combination with other meals, because actually I just want to make sure that I have protein in every meal. Why do I want to make protein and make sure I have protein in every meal? Two reasons. One, because of the nature of, um, yeah, Yakira, I still find it clumps. I'm too lazy for that. There's too many steps there. I just like in the microwave, two minutes, done. I'm not heat it, then stir in the protein. No, just get it in, get out there. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that the, the reason I make protein and everyone should make protein the focus of every meal is you'd be surprised at how easy it is to get your protein intake up if we just change our normal focus on eating patterns. Like, for example... If you have, most people will have like cereal or toast for breakfast, right? Very low protein there. By making an effort to put some protein in a breakfast, Greek yogurt, some berries, um, you know, protein in oats, um, you know, scrambled eggs with some toast of a morning, whatever it might be. It's quite easy to then start to build up protein through the day. So if you make protein the focus of each meal and you get 20 to 30 grams of protein in each meal, within three meals, um, you know, you'll be you'll be probably for most of you most of you guys and girls somewhere near where you need to be. The only thing you then need to do is just increase or decrease portion sizes of protein. So, for example, like you know, I will make sure that like if I was to buy, try and think of an example. Like you can get like a random chicken salad from Tesco or whatever for lunch if I'm on the go. That might only have a very small amount of chicken in it. So I'll buy like a pack of chicken from like, you know, whatever and throw that in to get the protein intake up. It's about just being aware and trying to just, again, through tracking, you'll learn these things. So again, don't put too much pressure on yourself to learn everything all at once. Trying to put protein in every meal or just have a really good focus, like a good focus on that straight away. What you'll realize is after a period of time, you'll realize that you're consuming way, not way more protein. There wasn't a whey pun in there, but a significant amount more protein than you probably need. You know, I'd say on any given day, I can easily consume 200 to 250 grams of protein without too much thought about it. You know, even nowadays, everything's kind of set up like there's a lot of higher protein foods. Now, just on that subject, if you see something with high protein on it, please check the label. There's a big market employee at the moment, like high protein is in fashion. So you'll see a lot of stuff which is like high protein Weetabix, and it's got like three grams more protein than the original version, which is not insignificant, but it's just not worth, you know, saying high protein. Um, yeah. Um, hang on a second. So I've got a lot of like threads coming in off this and I keep seeing words that I want to answer about feeling full and stuff. Just on the point, if you're eating a meal and you feel full, stop eating, right? We don't have to eat it just because it fits on macros, right? We don't want to override our hunger, our hunger um, signals, okay? Like listening to like, you know, intuitive eating is something we can relearn by listening to our hunger signals. And it's quite powerful to be like, actually, I've eaten my bowl of oats and I've got some left, but I'm full, so I don't need to eat them, right? You might need to be hungrier later in the day where you want a bit more food. But again, we don't need to just randomly eat to our macros because they're there. If we don't feel hungry, don't eat, right? If we do feel hungry, let's look at food choices first and then think about why we might be later. Have we had a higher expenditure day? Anyway, sorry. Um, flip it back on its head to um, protein. So, yeah. Then the other thing is just education on protein food choices. A lot of people don't realize like quite how many good high protein foods there are out there. Like a typical day for me, because I don't really have much time to cook. Actually, I saved this from earlier to show you guys. And again, it's not the cheapest thing in the world, but it's certainly cheaper than grabbing prep from lunch or boots. Like these little gym kit, not, I'm not sponsored by these companies. I have no affiliations or no links to anything I ever promote on here, by the way, for the record. But like I have these gym kitchen meals. I don't know if you've seen them at Asda. 
that's 384 calories and 34 grams of protein, right? Two minutes in a microwave. Convenience can be healthy. And I think it's got two of your five a day in as well. Nowadays, you go to Tesco, Lidl, Asda, um, the specific brands as well. You can get so many convenient foods and it tastes nice as well that are like two meals for a fiver or whatever. And people go, oh, that's expensive. But most people will spend five or six quid a day on coffees and everything else as well. Sometimes we might need to sacrifice a little bit of something to get something else. I don't have much time to cook. I've been here since silly o'clock this morning till now. Literally, I was nearly late to this because I was shoveling that meal in my face whilst I was waiting between my food and this as well. So sometimes we have to eat for convenience. I am a big fan of preparing our own foods because that gives us an idea of portion sizes and control. What does, you know, what does 100 grams of something look like is going to help us when we go into restaurants to have more confidence, right? If we know when we're weighing and measuring foods at home for cooking, what 300 grams of spuds looks like, then we go to a restaurant, we can have a better guess. So that's the other thing about tracking and, and weighing and measuring. It's an educational resource, not something we necessarily need to do for like ever and ever and ever. So with that, like if I have two meals of those a day, that's 70 grams of protein and, you know, a protein yogurt or whatever, the 0% that Emma mentioned before, protein yogurt, have one or two of them a day. I'm at 112 grams of protein, 120 grams of protein. I've had two meals and a little snack, you know? So again, you don't need to all do it through convenience foods. Um, as a general rule, though, in terms of guides of protein amounts, a normal-sized kind of what you would say palm-sized portion of meat, meat, so chicken, steak, turkey, fish, would usually be around 25 to 35 grams of protein, just as a, a thought guide, okay? So if you're, if you're ever worrying about what that might be, and that would usually be about three ounces, three to four ounces, which is about 90 to 120 grams. So my American clients or American chums here, please correct me if I've got those conversions wrong. I think one ounce is 28 point something grams, if I'm correct. Anyway, so you can do it. It's just a case of learning and educating from day one. Look at the food you're already consuming. So for example, if you make a salad and there's chicken in it and you know how much chicken's in it and it gives you 12 grams of protein, double the amount of chicken, right? It really is that simple. And I know meat's expensive and all that kind of stuff as well, but you know, Again, that's where convenience and cost comes into it, maybe with using protein shakes. Because again, they are cheap, they are cost effective. Um, and again, you know, like I tend to have a morning, if I haven't got time for my oats, which I very rarely do, depending on how much I've slept, I will just grab a protein shake for breakfast. So I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite about that. Um, I'm not particularly, like Scott, I think, mentioned earlier in the comments, I'm not particularly fussy about what that protein is. I make of protein, brand of protein, as long as it does the job. Um, nice. So Hannah's just said there, which is important. I'm going to talk about this as well because it's important. So as a vegan, I turn to beans, legumes for protein, but they're higher in carbs. Any advice? So it's it's there's you, you tend to be like damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you're a vegan, so if you have more legumes and peas and things like that, and nuts and uh, you get more carbs. If it's nuts and seeds, it tends to be more fat as well. The good thing is now is that there's a lot of these plant-based foods coming out, like you know, like um, tofu and and some of the synthetic meats and the mycoprotein stuff, which does tend to be a lot lower in calories. Okay, lowering fat, lowering carbs. So I think that, um, so yeah, tofu tempeh, not too sure. I think depending on the source of them, they can be quite higher in fat. But what I would say there is in vegan and vegetarians in particular, that's where that's where protein supplementation uh, can come into its own. Um, but yeah, the, 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 new, the, new, the new products on the market, the vegan meats are actually pretty good. You know, I, I've always like, I, I, I make quite cool little, I do try and do some like meat substitute meals and stuff as well, like 
corn, bolognese and stuff like that, which is fine. Again, if you're not a fan of the taste and the texture, that's more to do with like putting the energy into the cooking and the sauces and things. Um, and yeah, like it is just being aware and again, learning yourself on the labels. And sometimes you might need to adjust slightly. You know, it's probably more beneficial to get more protein in and just be a, and have to, and then have to sacrifice a little bit of a portion of rice and then fill up the rest of your plate with lower, lower calorie vegetables. So things like, you know, as a, as a general rule, um, like eat your fruit and veg, like it's high in fiber, it's going to keep you feeling full. So if you have a plate that you're having to like skimp a little bit in terms of your carb sources, fill out with salad, you know, leaves, greens, broccoli, spinach, all that stuff, fill your plate. That stuff is voluminous. It slows digestion. It makes you feel full. I talk about protein a lot and we'll focus on protein because it's probably one of the things most people struggle with. I will guarantee you, um, I guarantee you that you'll make life a hell of a lot easier for yourself as well. If you can combine the increased protein with increased fruit and vegetable intake, right? It will make a massive difference to your hunger control, but people won't do it because it's like, you know, it's, it's boring to throw some salad at the side of it. Um, can see people arguing about the merits of tofu or not tofu. Now oh. with all of these things, remember at the start, I've talked about generalization, right? I talk generally about things. So of course there'll be people talking here who like might be allergic to soy or allergic to this or allergic to that and aller or allergic to the other. This is where, and this is where it, it kind of sucks to be you, but I'm going to give you some advice anyway, is that if you've got very specific individual dietary requirements, i.e. you have certain intolerances, allergies, whatever it might be, either it's you take the general advice and then think about go and educate yourself. Like I talked before, go and learn about things, go and read, ask me specific questions rather than general ones about like for advice and ideas. Sometimes I might not know the answer straight away, but I'll usually be able to figure it out. Um, or, and, and then invest that time in learning for yourself. And it might take a little bit longer to figure out your nutrition relative to your own limitations, be that through, um, like I say, allergy intolerance or, or dietary approach, you know, dietary philosophy, if you will, with veganism. So that's, that's the reality of it is the more restrictive your diet has to be, then by, for whatever reason, the more thought it's going to take. That doesn't mean it's not solvable. It just takes a little bit more thought and a little bit more education to kind of screw into what you need to do to be successful. You know, um, Paul, so, yeah. you know, I think a point raised as well. Me and Paul had a two phone call about this stuff before about the power of uh, labeling stuff. So up there, someone mentioned you want to eat less processed foods, right? Why do we define that so bad? Greek yogurt is processed food. Right, so we 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 have this huge label for stuff, but pro, there's a there's a study that came out and they said it's actually not possible to have hit all your nutrients on a two thousand calorie diet with only unprocessed foods. You have to have a mix of whole grain, like unprocessed foods and processed foods because they fortify them with vitamins and minerals and all this stuff. So I don't think we need to think that eating more processed foods is necessarily bad, no. but if you're going to eat processed foods such as plant-based foods and Greek yogurts, you want to make sure that they're the best bang for your buck protein-wise. So you don't need the processed food juice has got no protein. But I don't think, yeah, but Paul, maybe you can talk more about the process side of things because I think people run away from that fact when actually that there's loads of plant alternatives now that are mega high in protein. So I think, I think the reality is this. So that the word processed is something that people say. It's In health terms, it's on there with like sustainable. People use these words. And health, people use these words like, I want to be healthy. Like, what do you mean healthy? What do you mean sustainable? What do you mean processed? If you look inside the nutrition literature, 
actually process all foods are processed if you cook something it is being processed in a very small way so when we think about processed foods what we're fundamentally talking about is what we might call hyper processed hyper refined foods so you know everything that's had all the natural goodness stripped away from them um and that's it there's that's that's the, what we're trying to get ultra ultra processed can you talk about difference ultra processed and processed so an ultra processed food and again definitions are sketchy at best an ultra processed food would be something which is i'm trying to think of an example it's something where it's it's strict and again ultra processed doesn't necessarily even mean it's bad by the way because i'm trying to be very careful with my words here because this is an absolute minefield of language choice and i don't want to give people the wrong impression so for example if you take something like table sugar right and it's it's from sugarcane and it's stripped down to basically be so ultra processed that it's down to like literally just two molecules table sugar is just sucrose and glucose but that's not bad within itself now if you had a diet entirely of things that were hyper processed all the extra nutritional value from that is stripped away right i think we can see that as a kind of concept you know i'm sure even a, a raw sugar beet might not taste great but i'm sure it's got other vitamins and minerals in there cuz it's a plant i don't know the nutritional content of a sugar beet or sugarcane i'm just using that as an example right the problem with ultra processed foods is that typically speaking they are stripped of their deeper nutritional nutritional void Nutri- not nutritional void but deeper nutrient composition so things like vitamins minerals fiber okay so an example of if you look at a processing scale a good example would be the difference between juicing and having a smoothie so there's a different level of processing there it's both fruit but juicing you would generally remove all the fiber remove all the pulp you would have all the vitamins and minerals but the fiber content's lower as well so we're talking about different levels of processing here does that mean does that mean that something being ultra processed is inherently unhealthy no it, it just doesn't what it means is that we need to understand and not be fearful of words and even if something was ultra processed and was ultra unhealthy does that mean that we shouldn't consume small parts of it within our diet if it has a wider benefit the answer is no because we're also allowed to enjoy foods right like being healthy should be about food enjoyment not restriction so when i say things like eat more fruits and vegetables i think the point scott alluded to there about like not being able to meet nutrient needs i think that there's 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 an echo of truth in that because like scott was saying fortification of foods and things as well makes a massive difference to a lot of people's diets but i also think that's because generally speaking the wider population don't have a varied enough diet i think if people had 2000 calories and had a varied diet it wouldn't be an issue it just it just wouldn't be there are certain things that are in fortified foods i think like certain types of milk that like have vitamin d added to them because we 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 synthesize vitamin d from sunlight so they fortify certain products and breakfast cereals as well with vitamin d a lot of the time and breakfast cereals would be seen as a refined food but if you have a look on the back of a of kellogg's crunchy nut cornflakes for example it's fortified with iron i think right so that would be better for most people to have that even though it's a processed food because most people don't consume enough iron in their diet particularly women particularly athletes okay so again everything's got a context now if everybody ate red meat forget if you can forget take you can't forget the ethical reasons but if you were to take the ethical reasons off the table everyone ate red meat and lots of iron iron rich foods then um lots of iron rich foods then they wouldn't be a need for fortification but a lot of the cereal companies do that so i completely agree with scott in the sense that 
most people who were to eat a 2000 calorie diet trying to be super restrictive in terms of processed foods might have some issues meeting their nutrient needs. But I also think that that is also caveated with most people's idea of a unprocessed diet still isn't a varied diet. You know, if you start stripping foods away, like a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet would be an example of that, which would be, it's not, it would be like before the advent and market capitalization on the vegan market and like the more than I know, for example, the example is like Oreos are vegan friendly. You can now get more vegan junk foods than were available many years ago. By the way, not anti that. I think it's good that vegans have more choice. But the point I'm trying to make is it's easier to eat in a higher calorie, potentially unhealthier long-term manner now because of the, the increased awareness and popularity of veganism. But that does, doesn't, that comes with the caveat that if we think back to maybe 10 years ago, veganism was about being mostly plant-based, lots of like fruits and vegetables and things as well. But even within that, then there would be restriction of red meat, fish, so omega-3s, essential fatty acids, and iron would be lower as well. So just because we perceive our diet as being zinc's another one that's in there, vitamin B12 is another common deficiency in vegans. So fortified foods for vegan foods have a lot of that in now. So again, just because we perceive something as being less processed doesn't actually mean a diet consisting of completely unprocessed foods would be healthy because if we're, again, it, it, it's all perception, isn't it? You know, um, and, 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 so, and the truth lies somewhere in the middle, but we also can't view a food in isolation. So as a little, as a little thought experiment, what I would encourage people to do is think of this, like I want you to think of the healthiest, for, for the newbies, for the old, old guard, you guys will have heard me say this before, maybe. If not, it might be a good refresher. So for the newbies, I want you to think of the healthiest food that you can think, think of, right? Think of the healthiest food that you can possibly think of, right? You've got that image in your head, right? Now, if you were to consume a diet consistent only of that food, do you think it would be very healthy? Do you think it would be healthy physically? Do you think it would be healthy psychologically? Like, could you subsist on that? Do you think it would be healthy socially? Could you spend time with your friends missing out on, say, birthday cake? Unless birthday cake was your healthy food, then we've got some work to do. If, um, you know, if, if, you've got, if you've got an idea of what healthy is, I know that's a really, it's a bit of a ridiculous example, but sometimes we have to push to an extreme example to prove a point. One food, and this is the idea of a superfood is a bit of a, is a funny one to me as well, because I don't know of too many foods that, would be sufficient to survive on as a single food. Yes, you get more nutrient-dense food than others. But the reality is a lot of these terms you hear are scaremongering. A lot of these terms you hear are market employees. And it, it's okay to still consume them. We just need to be aware of a wider context. Like if I had a diet that was full of whole, whole nutrient-dense foods, lean protein sources, all my nutrition nutrients in there, and then had, you know, a tablespoon of sugar every day, just because just I felt like it. Like no one's going to say that's an unhealthy diet. Well, actually, I say no one. Some people would because people will think all kinds of nonsense around those things. Um, so, yeah, I think just being awareness of terms and not being put off by stuff until we truly understand what they mean. And by understand what they mean as well, I talk about this idea of, um, I talk about this idea of like educating yourself. By that, what I mean is educating yourself from like validated sources rather than just going on internet and searching for negative terms, which is kind of what I'm here for as well, because you'll find anything to prove any kind of, <laughs> any kind of nonsense that's out there, unfortunately. Um, you know, you'll see things like sugar causes cancer, which is a nonsense. You'll hear all kinds of things that, you know, perpetuate these myths that come from people with the title doctor and not all people with doctors are as, you know, honest and I'm not going to use the word knowledgeable towards myself, but at least willing to make the effort to get to the bottom of the, the actual reasons rather than having blinkered views about nutrition.
to sell books or dietary approaches that are just nonsense. Anyway, sorry, that turned into a bit of a, a embittered rant about the state of the health and fitness industry globally at the moment. That's good. It's important. I think if, if, you were, if we work from reality of this world, um, the, but the reality, you know, we'd love to live in a world full of your grandmother's veggies and stuff like that, but we do live in a world of mainly ultra processed foods, processed foods. So if you're going to fight against that all the time, as opposed to accepting it, like Paul's meal earlier, 36 grams of protein, that's probably ultra processed, but it's got the macros he needs. And I think we shouldn't try to be too hard on ourselves today to try and have this perfectly wholesome diet and we can work towards it. But I think we can start off by saying the world is full of ultra processed, processed foods. Let's work with that for now. And let's start switch, switching things out. Like Paul said, switch that ready meal out for something you actually make yourself, which will be less processed. But you don't have to start off like that now. That's where most people fail. Yeah, well, that's kind of the sort of to the point earlier on about the alcohol thing. Like you don't need to change everything all at once. You make a tweak, you make a change. It might just be that if you eat no fruits and vegetables, you make a commitment to swap in one snack a day of a Mars bar or whatever it might be to you know, having an apple or, or a banana instead. It might be that you still have the Mars bar, but you just have some fruit with it as well. Because again, it's trying to instill those better eating habits. And then maybe with time, like you just replace one with the other. It's about trying different strategies and systems. You know, like I said before, don't have to change everything all at once. Just try one or two things that you think might improve it. You know, the processed, unprocessed thing for me is, is probably at the bottom of my list of things I think about when I make my own personal food choices. It's, does it hit my protein? Does it provide me with enough vitamins and minerals? And at the end of the day, if I take a step back, now I have the knowledge and understanding of nutrition, am I likely to be deficient in anything that's going to affect my health, my concentration, my performance, my recovery from my exercise, my ability to sit here at eight o'clock on a Monday evening after a long day and talk nonsense to you guys, or hopefully some, some semblance of sense in there as well. So again, when I talk about why I eat healthy or why we eat healthily, trying to tie that into wider reasons than that I just want to lose weight. So guaranteed, you start eating better, more fruits, more vegetables, more protein, um, exercising, focusing on your hydration, focusing on your sleep. If you can become aware of how much better that makes you feel, again, that's just another reason to stay in the game even longer than worrying about what's happening with your weight whilst you're getting grass with these things. Like small improvements and a bit of self-awareness goes a hell of a long way in terms of getting the most out of your health not just your weight management. Yeah, weight like weight loss in overweight and obese people is going to massively improve their health markers. Of course it is. But we can do those other bits along the way if you do struggle with that, you know? It's about seeing the wider context. Give ourselves more reasons to do this than less reasons to do it is, you know, kind of at the heart of my philosophy anyway. Bang on, Dr. P. Well, we're coming up to the hour now, so hopefully that was helpful. And uh, Paul, would you agree that the advice for the week would just just to be hit the macros, eat whatever you want? I know this. If you said this to any health professional, they would try and chop you down by saying you can't just eat whatever you want because the book is about if you cause cancer, and you can't. And you know, people are too scared to say the fact. But actually, you know, if we start there, we it's, it's a lot easier. I, I would say that you know, use this use this first week, generally speaking, in terms of exercise as a bit of a calibration. We don't put too much pressure on yourself. So again, even if we want this to be sustainable by definition, anything we do now should be able to be something we continue beyond the 10 weeks. Okay. Does that make sense? We've got to be able to continue it beyond the 10 weeks. So what better thing to start with continuing than the thing you're already doing, right? That you are continuing because it's your life. 
And then from there saying, okay, here's the strengths, here's the weaknesses, here's the things I need to change. For initial, an initial bit of focus that I would say is a good starting point for most people without worrying too much about the protein intake is trying to track and be aware of your portion sizes and get those up and down to fit within your calorie targets. So for example, if you notice you eat four meals a day and each one of those meals is 500 calories, just as an example, and your target's 1,500, figure out how to just reduce those portion sizes, okay? And then build it from there. Okay, I'm getting my portions right. Right, great. I'm now going to just watch my snacking behaviors. And then we move on to snacking behaviors next week. And then maybe we can eat a bit more food because we're not snacking as much. Whatever the problem is, you know, at the start, we talk about your biggest issues. Think about what your biggest issue is and put one thing in place to deal with that. In terms of tracking, then just, again, just use it as something to build towards, right? So pick one thing you want to work on or two things you want to work on each day and just get those two things nailed. Weight loss is still going to be there in six, eight, 10 weeks time if you need it. But it's not going to happen unless you develop the skills. Think of the tennis analogy I used earlier on, early on. So that tennis analogy now is like, right, we're picking up a bat and a ball. How the bloody hell do we use these things? So it might be that we're, you know, we're going to play the game the way we're used to. And then from that, we can learn and get better. But I would just say as a starting point, just track what you're normally eating and just work on portion control this week. Portion control and protein. Focus on the two Ps. Yeah? Portion control and protein. Get those two sorted and you'll find that you'll... You're, if you focus on more protein, you'll probably find that you'll feel fuller anyway, which will help with the portion control. And again, just, just a little, little anything tonight that I've discussed, which maybe just gives you a little aha moment of like, oh crap, I'm full, but I've finished, I haven't finished, I'm still finishing all the food on my plate. Just an awareness of things. You don't have to change anything just yet, but creating that awareness. So portion size, protein, and just an awareness of the things that you need to work on. Yeah. Happy okay. days, happy days. That shouldn't be too overwhelming for week one, should it? Oh, Maybe. borderline. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, honestly, take it slow. Dr. P, we got we got on this challenge new as well. We got an email to a nutritionist, uh, nutritionalturtle.com. So any questions you do want to fire off there, you can as well, and we'll reply every single day. So you've got that channel. But guys, thank you for tuning in. Hope you learned along day one. Obviously, tune in tomorrow again. Daily voice note, audio drop in on the Facebook group, and see you in the workouts on Wednesday, guys. Legends, thank you, Paul. See you Wednesday, guys. See you later. Oh, Paul, ta-ra, ta-ra, ta-ra.